What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 36.5 of Behind the Daw. It's a very special episode, but really quick, we usually interview music producers, artists, music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level. But as you noticed, this is a .5 episode. And on the .5 episodes, we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, we convert it to audio, put it in a podcast form so you can listen to it on the go, get that perfect combination of production and emotional knowledge to help you become the producer, the artist, the person that you need to be and that you want to be. So for this week, we have Mr. Tape breaking down their song that they did for the their Arcade Destinations compilation album. Very, very different from what we're used to doing. We're used to doing the kind of the bass music kind of scene, sound designy kind of stuff. But this week, we took a turn and we decided to go down the more chill route uh, with Mr. Tape. It was amazing. They, they brought a lot of things to the table, especially with talking about, you know, analog versus digital. And really a really great resource that not very many people know about, which is the Slate Digital Everything Bundle. It's amazing. By the way, if you want it, link down in the description. Click on that. DawBot will get you all set up, put you in the right direction so that you can get signed up over on Slate Digital's website. Nonetheless, there's a bunch of other little hidden gems in here. Also, if you agree or disagree, or if you enjoy this or you don't enjoy this, or if you have comments or criticisms or whatever, go ahead, comment down in the comments. Whether you're on iTunes, whether you're on SoundCloud or Spotify or Deezer or Google Play or YouTube or wherever you are listening to this, go ahead, comment down in the comments. I will try to get back to every single one of them. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen, but I just want to let you know that I know that you're there and I'm trying my hardest. So with that being said, and without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Mr. Tape. I want to welcome everyone to this week of In The Daw. We have the one, the only, Mr. Tape. How are you guys doing today? The two, the only. Oh, the two, the only, the Mr. Tape. You guys excited to be on the show today and to be able to break down your, your track, yeah? I have waited my entire life for this. I don't know about you, Mason. I've been waiting. He's still waiting. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, patrons who come through and support us and give us money for whatever obscene reason you think that we're doing something amazing. Thank you so much. If you guys want to join for a dollar a month to keep this thing going, I'm not going to be mad and everyone else is going to love it. So thank you so much to everyone who is a patron that is keeping this going. So I just want to introduce our co-host for the day. Multi can't be here. He, Isotope called him up. You know, when Isotope calls, you just, you just got to take that call. Anyways, so we got Daddy. How you doing today, man? What up? Dude, he just released a song and we just did an in the dot for that song. And if you guys haven't checked that out, you should go check that out and remix this song because the stems are, are for free. And then... We also have one half of Scarlet Still, whose name is Still Sal Duty. How you doing today, man? What up? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Mr. Tape, huge fan, so it's it's cool to be on and hanging with the dudes. Super cool song. I love this one because it's a totally different vibe, I feel like, than some of the other Mr. Tape stuff. Take sounds and just bend them and warp them and destroy them. Out of the ashes of that death, the phoenix is reborn and something beautiful comes from it. How did you make that sound, that pad sound, at the very beginning of the track? That was super cool. First of all, do you want to write my uh, Wikipedia page intro? Oh, ashes yeah. of the phoenix of sound. I like this. When we got hit up to do some 
songs for this compilation. One of the first things that we wanted to do is actually try to get it outside of Pro Tool, outside of the DAW as much as possible. We made a lot of these sounds basically with just a lot of our toys. There's actually three layers of sound in this, all from the same sound from my Analog 4 by Electron. We basically set up a patch to where the envelope on it is, is just kind of a slower attack, but the envelope triggers an LFO, which is what gives it that one kind of like weird jarring kind of bend sound. And then we basically just moved that same sound up and down um, octaves and used as played like the harmony with it sometimes. But what's fun is that as we moved it up and down the, the octaves or the scale, the LFO would the speed changed with it. So it sometimes jars or triggers kind of at a different place. So like the very original sound we started with is this guy, the mid pad. But you can kind of hear how it goes, boom, boom, boom. So every time we would trigger it, it would kind of trigger that LFO. And then we, it's the same patch, but just like a different. Yeah, and then, uh, and then we just threw the, the Moog bass in kind of towards the end. What Moog are you using? I use the um, Mother 32. See, one thing that's kind of cool that's different about you guys, I think a lot of, than a lot of the artists that come on here, is a lot of the artists that come on here are kind of that new school, everything's in the box, everything, you know, half of the guys that come on here that make amazing music don't even actually play instruments. And something that I know about you guys is you've been in the band scene and you, know, you guys are, you have a long history of playing instruments, playing guitars, playing keyboards, analog world. That's kind of a cool, fresh look. I don't think we're used to seeing on here as much. Yeah, we both very much come from like the band world. Like we're kind of like punk dudes, I guess, that just love tweaking with sound and love like DJing and making like electronic music. So it's kind of a fun, it's kind of fun to kind of mesh those two worlds together a little bit. One of my favorite things I've ever seen is that you guys had a song featuring Dan Reynolds' Floor Tom. That is one of the funniest features I've ever seen on any track ever. I'm glad that some people got that. That was the meme of the century. What is Mr. Tape doing? Like, you guys are a very unique sound. I mean, especially like you look at like this Arcade Destinations, you know, album, it's different. The stuff that Mr. Tape is putting out is very different than like what's current and mainstream. Like, what, what's your guys' goal? Like, what, when you're creating this kind of music, what are you trying to do? Nate wants me to answer because we don't, we don't know what we're doing. So that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> like Nate was saying, we come from a, maybe a different than a lot of uh, DJs and producers in the electronic world. And so part of it is we're, we're just trying to figure out like how to fit in because we really like electronic music. We love, we love going to the club like and stuff and, and like it, it's, it's an awesome feeling, but we, we don't come like, we didn't grow up going to, to clubs and stuff. And we'd like, we're old guys. <laughs> Never we're young. <laughs> we're young guys. We're young guys. But like my formative years, I was, I was, I spent like, going to like rock shows and stuff like what's in my blood is is not like it's not stuff that like younger kids probably like just grew up listening to a bunch of edm stuff and they just like have it in their brain so we have to kind of try it i guess a little harder to like to make it work in this world but we we can't like shake the 20 years or whatever of of music that we were listening to when we were you know growing up teenagers early 20s and stuff so i think that probably has a lot to do with it is that background i feel like house music there's a couple core elements to house music 
And one of them that's really important is your top loop. You guys have really, and that's like a subtlety that I think a lot of people miss, but I think there's a lot of effort and painstaking love that goes into making that top loop. How do you guys usually approach that? Are you, is there kind of a way that you approach that? Do you use like samples? Do you like, do you use like pre-built loops that you chop up or do you kind of go in there and program each element separately? Like what's your, what's your approach on that? I really liked it on this one. It was a little different than what you'd expect, but it still had that cool janky vibe. It almost reminded me of spoons or something. Yeah, no, it's interesting because this one, like the top loop is built out of a lot of like metal things like metal bowls, wind chimes, some like bells things like that. And then obviously just like tambourine. Usually when we kind of are building the elements, especially of the drums, we just try to find sound that's interesting to us. And so like, we'll go, I don't know, we'll jump on like noise or splice or something and just, you know what I mean? Kind of do a little bit of discovery. And it's interesting because like, like, I think very rarely, at least I know for me, and I'm assuming for Mason too, when we're kind of building stuff, very rarely do we find like a whole loop that is like, awesome and inspiring for what we're working on. But usually what we can do is usually find one or two sounds kind of in that loop that are interesting. And so then it becomes like taking a bunch of those things and kind of finding the moments in each of those samples or each of those loops that are like, oh, hey, this is really interesting and not quantizing it and kind of not necessarily fitting it to any sort of a grid, but kind of just sometimes just layering all of those ideas on top of one another and then just chopping out everything except for the little moments. So do you? Do, so then do you work with a lot of just audio then? You're just throwing audio down channels. You're not really using like sampler plugins or that. You're just kind of throwing audio down. Honestly, just kind of depends. When we were doing the Tulum stuff, again, kind of like our approach early on was we, we didn't, we weren't too worried about, we weren't too worried about like the, the tracks sounding like super beefy or like <clears throat> should even be able to be played in a club. And in fact, if anything, we were like, hey, we want these songs to be something that could be played at like a restaurant in Tulum, Mexico, while people are still able to have a conversation. And like the track just helps set like the tone of their meal more than anything. Like instead of dominating the quote unquote conversation like it would in a club, we wanted this to just help them feel like they were in a cool place while they were having their dinner. So you had the wonderful Sego on vocals. So I would love to look at your your vocal chain, kind of like how you process those vocals. They're a lot more ethereal and like indie on this track. And I that's a really cool sound. I kind of want to hear how you recorded them, first of all, and then you know, how you affect them in your chain when it comes to that. There's two layers of vocals. Um, I'll play you I'll play you kind of the finished ones first, and then we can kind of dig into um, how we made those. So here's the finished vocals just by themselves. So anyways, that's kind of the idea. And then the last one little here is the I could be. I love the way the vocals obviously turned out on this one. I'm hearing little altar boy in there somewhere. Oh, of course. Um, there's actually three different things making the kind of the vocoder sound. There's like three different techniques that we did on this one. Let's see if it'll pull up. When we were doing this track, um, Spencer um, from Sega was actually just in town. And I was just like, hey, we're doing this record for all of the collabs that we're doing on this, we're trying to kind of 
um, collab with people that might not be obvious uh, collaborators. And Sego seemed like a perfect fit for this because of just how smart that dude is, just musically. And we were just like, hey, come over and do this. So it was funny because like as I was playing him the track, he was just back there on his little notepad, just like sketching a bunch of ideas. And then I just gave him the mic. And it's funny because I have a lot of just tons and tons of vocals. He was just singing kind of like freestyle in the mic after he'd written some ideas. And I actually haven't listened to these and I'm interested in seeing what they are. I mean. Okay, so there he's just grunt grunting. But anyways, this is really just what the original vocal sounded like. Don't worry about me. I worry about me. I'm indulging in simple pleasures. Kind of more sego -y type of stuff. Don't worry about me. Wow. Don't you worry. I'm much better than you think. And so then what I did is I literally just copied and pasted this exact take down to two other tracks. So the first thing I did with this one is I pulled it in Melodyne and like hard tuned it so that it almost felt like auto-tuned. I mean, it was like double click type of stuff. Like it, you know, I mean, like I wanted it like right on the thing to make you work, kind of make it feel a little bit more things. And then I threw a super hard auto-tune on it. Don't you worry. Like that what do you, stuff. What I do you feel like auto-tune and Melodyne? Like what's that kind of... I just wanted it to feel real. Well, the, the thing is with Melodyne, like if I were to pull the auto-tune off, with Melodyne, it still feels kind of sung. With the auto-tune, it almost feels robot which I really liked. And so the two together, the Melodyne, the Melodyne just tightened up the melody anyways. And then the auto, which made it easier for the auto-tune just to get oh, really right. aggressive. Then you're running it through Slate Digital. That's who, uh, that's who Nick was talking about last week. I went and got Slate Digital last night because of Mason and because of Nick. Mm -hmm. Nick, you probably have owned or owned some of this gear analog, correct? Throughout the years, I've owned little pieces that try to imitate this, but actually like one of the bands that Mason and I both play in, like we use a lot of live vocoder and things like that too. And then whenever we're down at June, I mean, all we do is use, you know, his, his racks and racks of the module gear. So yeah, I mean, comfortable and familiar with basically all of this do, stuff. Do you feel like these virtual simulations do it justice? I mean, the Slate stuff is, you know, it's insane. Kind of anybody that would tell you that it's not insane, I'd question if they're doing it just to try to sound cool. <laughs> so I've got a question concerning, so you guys come from a more analog era, whereas like I started producing, you know, within the last five to, you know, five to 10 years. And a lot of the producers that are watching this, you know, have kind of started. Is there anything that you feel like should be said to that demographic about kind of the, the background of where these plugins came from. Is there anything that you feel like people need to learn as a basis when it comes to analog gear and where, you know, this kind of stuff started that you'd say to people? I mean, the thing is, is it's weird because like, I don't, I'm not precious about any of that, like analog versus digital thing personally. And I, Mason is not either. And, and the thing is, is like, we just look at all of these things as a tool to create. Like, I kind of get weirded out by some people that are like, oh, come to my studio because I'm only analog. And I'm like, oh, well, are you a good engineer or not? Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you a good... Are you a good producer or not? Like, that's what I care about, right? And so, um, I mean, like, I, in some of the classes that I've taught over the years, like, I'll have high school students that are using, like, a cracked version of something that's not, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how they plug a mic into it. Bring <laughs> 
the coolest sounding like sounds and tracks and productions that I've ever heard. And I'm just reminded like they don't they don't need all kinds of crazy gear. Like either they kind of have an ear for it and they're getting experimental creative or they're not. And so with stuff like this, the only reason I use this stuff is because I'm comfortable with it and I know what it does. And even then, like I wouldn't know what any of this stuff did if I hadn't spent years experimenting with it and just playing with it and using presets and then tweaking those presets and then going down to June and being like, oh, hey, Scott, what does this thing do that I see sometimes and whatever? And he can show me and I'm like, oh, cool. And then I can go back. You know what I mean? Like, I guess I'm just saying like, one, there's nothing wrong with just experimenting with anything. And if you think it sounds cool, then rolling with it. And two, like there's nothing wrong with using presets if you if you don't know what stuff does. Or even if you do and you're like, hey, I really like the way that this preset sounds. I, I guess I'm just saying some people are just way too precious about stuff like that. So I think that's cool perspective. I mean, I think a lot of the people that are watching this are new and using things like Serum Effects as their effects rack or things that's like that. That's fine. That's awesome. Make you know them I mean? sound freaking cool, man. Like who cares? <laughs> you know, like, like that perspective available to you. And I think that's how innovation comes, right? Is you know learning kind of you know where things started, but then taking it to the next level and learning how to use newer tools and master those, so you can just continue to progress. You know. Yeah. Sorry, we got sidetracked. Anyways, for whatever it's worth, I melodyned it. We just EQ'd it quite a bit. I wanted it to sound boxy, especially before going into the little altar boy. This actually got rid of the strip that I had in here. So all it was doing was just taking out some low end and, and adding even a little bit more high end just because we used this mic. You know, it's kind of a darker, quiet mic. And then um, in little altar boy, I, uh, pitched it up. I pitched it up a full octave and then just pulled the formant shift down just a little bit. I'll kind of just turf, turn it off and on. So for people who may not know what Little Alter Boy is, a lot of people talk about it. Do you want to explain what it does and, and what the I mean, format and pitch is and everything? It has a few different things. Excites different formants that are just like naturally in like sound or whatever. And you can kind of like uh, excite or kind of amplify or tweak the formants. Like a good way to explain it is like when you move your mouth like more open or close. That's how we communicate. It's how we talk. It basically kind of amplifies different harmonics that are actually already like in your voice or whatever it is anyways. And so all of this does is just screw around with those types of things. I mean, it's it's a super popular thing in pop music anyways right now. I'd be surprised if a lot of people didn't at this point kind of know what it was. What's nice about Little Alter Boy is that you can screw around with the format and the pitch within the same thing. This one, this one, I just pitched it up a full octave, but then brought the format down so it kind of audibly almost sounds like lower. I hear things. Don't worry about me. Don't you worry. I'm much better than you. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I micro shifted it to get kind of like that chorusy kind of detune. I hear things. I just wanted to kind of sound alieny. And then obviously I just ran it through some echo or uh, yeah some echo machines. I was like UAD. Yeah, the UAD stuff. For the vocoder, it's actually interesting. So I took the same thing and um, used a harmonizer. And this is what I actually really like to do for my vocoders is I actually just like to use this harmony engine because that's all it's doing is creating harmonies. And then I just use the option where you can send, um, you can just send it MIDI information. And then I just played kind of some static chords down here. And then just EQ'd it and threw it through that same echo. Don't worry about me. 
That sounds so good. It definitely sounds like a vote voter, but I guess different process. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's I, it's like when I want a kind of like clean vocoder, that's at least what that's what we've done in the past. We get together, they sound awesome. You know, this song, if I'm right, it's like it's like six and a half minutes, right? Yeah, it's pretty long. Traditionally, like in, in the electronic world or just, you know, like music world in general, you know, six minutes is kind of pushing it on the long side. But why as an artistic decision did you say, hey, dude, I want this to be six and a half minutes? And how did it help convey your artistic dream, so to say? The reason that we had this one longer, I mean, there's if you listen to that compilation, about half of the tracks are pretty long, maybe a little bit more than half, but some of them are just kind of regular or whatever uh, length of songs. With this one specifically, I always heard it being something that you could play like at like a cabana or like a really, really nice restaurant and have it set the tone. And therefore, like I wasn't in any hurry to end it. Like I wanted it to stay interesting enough throughout the track that you aren't getting bored and it just it doesn't become too repetitive. But at the same time, like I want this to be something that that almost becomes something that by the end of it, when it does change into something else, you're like, oh, whoa, I was totally just like zoned out into this thing for a long time. I can now tell that like a mood has changed or something has changed like that. And I just, I didn't think that I'd be able to get that accomplished by keeping it like at three and a half minutes. Like I don't want it to be like a three and a half minute experience on this one. It's like, I really want this one to set the vibe for a while. And do you feel like that was very well received or do you feel like there's pushback from people because it's longer than normal? No, not at all. I don't feel, I didn't feel any pushback on anything. I think people, I think people overall understood the idea of this record which was this isn't something that you go play at the club to get everybody hyped up like this is this is not that type of a record and the whole compilation just isn't that thing right this is it's supposed to be dude it's just supposed to be listened to differently than you would any other record but it's weird i like i love listening to the whole compilation like myself you know i know some people kind of get burnt out working on tunes that they would never want to hear them again but because it was a compilation and i love hearing all the other tunes that everybody else did like we put this on around the house all the time my kids love the tunes they all know the tunes again like i have a bunch of friends that that don't really listen to dance music they're like dude we totally listen to this my family loves loves this like it's just such a good mood setter you know like with you two being a duo where do you guys draw that line as far as responsibilities basically like what does each person do to help build up the group i'm going to give you my thoughts on this and then i'm actually interested in mason's thoughts on this too for me like i don't having two people involved just means that like we have twice as many ideas that can come to the table there's like a logistical side of it which is mason's really good at like business stuff and I'm terrible at that stuff so like I literally let Mason like like he's responsible (laughs) so like it's really good for me just from like a logistical standpoint that it's like man it's really nice having somebody in this project that likes returning emails and returning phone calls and invoicing and all of that stuff right but as far as like the music side of it goes we both know each other's strengths enough at this point to where there's no like weird ego stuff or there's no like weird, there's no insecurities about like sometimes like I'm working on a baseline and I'm just like, dude, I, this is not inspiring me. I have no idea what to do with this. And I, I love that I can be like, hey, Mason, I just need a new set of ears on this. And usually in like 30 minutes, he's sending it back like, oh, this is awesome. And sometimes he'll be like, hey, man, like I'm not loving the drums that I have on this. Will you take a look at the drum? And it's like, yeah. And so what's nice is that it just, you have another person that's just as committed to this as you, that's just as good of a producer. There's 
no there's no weird drop off when it comes to the actual like ideas and technical side of this. And instead, basically, we kind of have somebody to help us kind of get past some of those brick walls, I guess, or kind of some of those places that you kind of run into issues. Am I, am I off on this? That was completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, uh, you guys like our ghetto mic setup. This is, <laughs> by the way, we just kind of make stuff work. No, I think that's, that's a really good, like what Nate was saying. Probably the biggest thing for me is I like having somebody to throw ideas off of. I, I get super jealous of dudes who, uh, like one of the guys we collaborate with who's on a lot of arcade stuff. His name's Lowkey. Um, I threw him something like on Friday and he sent me like this amazing thing back like a day later. And I was like, how did you do that so fast? Cause I work super slow. And I like I overthink probably too much when I'm producing. So it helps me to have Nate or somebody else where I can just be like, hey man, I've been working on this and I'm kind of burnt out because I'm like overthinking it. And I send it to Nate and he's like, Oh yeah, this is great. Like he provides some clarity. Like here's where here's where it's cool and like I can already see. And then by the time I get it back from Nate, I, I'm like refreshed and, and I can keep going. So I, I like working uh with other people. I like collaborating uh, for that reason. I think that's that's a really great one. But yeah, we've been I think we've been making music together for seven years. We started uh, in 2011. <laughs> They produced one of my bands and I didn't know anything about recording at that point. I kind of look up to Nate like as a as a mentor. And I think just recently I started thinking of myself as like kind of on its level. So it's like, <laughs> what? But like, it's no, like, but what? before I like, I, I, I become the master, but not, not that it was like before I would kind of be nervous. Like even like, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know when it was, but there was a point where I, I stopped being nervous to send Nate stuff. Now I can just send him whatever. And I'm like, man, if it's not cool, like, I'm not, I'm not like afraid he's never, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid he's never going to return my calls anymore. Yeah. As far as like, uh, like roles, like we don't really have super defined roles. We'll both start ideas and send them to each other. We also don't do things like 50, 50 in terms of work. Like some songs, Nate will like, like I said, this song, I honestly didn't touch this song. Like Nate had it done and I was like, dude, that's finished. I don't need to add anything to that. And then other times it's, it's really split and we'll start, we'll start working on it together and we'll basically do the whole thing together. And sometimes I'll do tunes like the idea. Yeah. The idea that, that, that track that I sent to Loki the other day, Nate was like, dude, send it to him and see what he does with it. So I don't know. It's a, I, I don't think either of us has like a, there's no egos in the group, so it's pretty easy to be easy about it. Pretty easy to be easy. That'll be my. I think it's. I think it's smart to find someone like that to to work with a mentor, somebody that you feel like you can trust to send your stuff to. For you never know what's going to come out of it. I mean, both Wyatt and Steele are mentors of mine that started me out in the beginning. You guys are awesome to me and got me going. I like the more chill vibe again. Where I like how in the Dawes kind of branching out, not just going. Uh, in one direction, but pulling on all sorts of vibes and genres. And one thing I do hear is a lot of people like to like make this more chill kind of stuff. I see you're down at like 112 tempo. What are some techniques that you guys use to make a song flow all the way through? Like it is a six minute song. What do you guys do to keep it chill and keep it flowing? What are some of the elements you feel like are important to keep it flowing and chill? Exactly. Because most people that we have on here are completely high energy. You know, the vast majority of people that have been on In The Da are bass producers. And so it's all about, yeah. And so to have something chill, this is going to be a good good point well, of view if like if you've heard it like any of our other stuff you know we also like you know what i mean like we love turning it up for sure and a lot of the stuff that we like to do is very much like house music just because we both love to dj and that's like the funnest stuff to play like in a club to make something like this down tempo work actually was is very second nature to kind of both of us because again this i feel like sits a little bit more in our our wheelhouse as, as far as what we've done our whole lives like there was there was no it, it, we didn't have to relearn anything to do like this type of stuff but to make something work i feel like at this or this, this length of a track is is that it's really it's mostly just an exercise in patience and like it's an exercise in 
always trying to instinctively remove before you add to. And a lot of what we a lot of what we would like to do is we would just go through and add a lot of these markers that would just kind of like give us ideas before we would even like start the song. Well, this one is like we were just like, hey, we want to start with like kick bells and tambourine. Let's add an arp. And the thing is, is like, even though some of these might seem like they were just like arbitrary placements, it was kind of like the old, like, Eno, you know, like the, the abstract. Yeah, the Brian Eno stuff. But anyways, it's like we, we always liked the idea of just having markers that would just tell us what we would do during these sections. And so like, so before we even got too far into a lot of these things, we would just add a lot of these markers to kind of use along the way if we ever got stumped to kind of like inspire us. And um, so you kind of had those first. You didn't necessarily. You weren't even necessarily to that point yet. You just kind of went ahead and said, "All right, yeah, this is kind of a roadmap of what I want the track, how I want it to flow, and then I'm going to kind of backfill it from there." Yeah. Well, the reason is because too, if not, if you like, I feel like if you don't kind of like set yourself like pace markers, you get impatient and you're like, okay, now this is the section I really want it to kind of like go for it. Right. But it's funny because like, if you see down here, you know, Spencer started playing guitar when, cause I had him play some guitar ideas really early on in the tune. And it was like, yeah, I mean, it did sound awesome if it was like a pop tune, but as you can see, like I ended up muting it for another two minutes or another full minute before the guitar even came in and then it got out and then it stayed out again for a long time so there's a lot of things in here that that we might have even thought of like oh we should put this in here but it became then it just started becoming a question of like how long can we let this groove go without adding anything and having it be something where people finally start checking out. And so like the first the first section is really just like the main loop for quite some time. The main pad is the only thing that really comes in with a hi-hat. And then it's the same stuff and then a low pad comes in. You know what I mean? It's like there's, it's just, you have 30 seconds to a minute worth of groove without it having to, you know, change too much. I was gonna say, I think that's part of the, the thing, the main thing we're going for here is just like getting people into that groove. And that's another reason why you can't really make this track like three minutes, because by the time people are into that groove, the, tr the track will be over. And it's funny, because like a lot of the like more pop stuff that I produce, I try like, it's very like things jump really yeah. quick. So like the chorus will end and then like, I might do like a little like reintro or something. And then the second verse starts and it's completely different. And I love I love doing that kind of stuff. But like, if you're if you're if you're doing that kind of stuff in this track, it would throw people out of that groove. You're trying to like get them into like almost like a meditative state where they're just like going with it. For this kind of stuff, that's that's like the goal. I think that kind of contributes to the to the length of the song. Most of our other stuff's like three and a half minutes. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's like this stuff. The thing is that's what's nice though is that like we we enjoy doing a lot of different genres and things like that. And so when again like when we got hit up to to throw some ideas for this thing, it's just like, oh awesome. Like like let's not feel like we have to pay like homage to anything else that we do. Like, dude, let's just do tracks that we think are freaking cool. Dude, I want to hear, I want to see that guitar. I actually noticed that it was one of my favorite things about the track. I heard that come in. I was like, there we go. Because working, working with a band artist when you're an electronic guy, you know, it's really common, I feel like, to work with solo artists and to work with vocalists. But to work with someone like Sago, who's a guitar player, multi-instrumentalist, I was wondering how you would incorporate if you would just stick to vocals or if you'd use some, you know, some of his other talents. And when I heard that guitar, I was like, oh, that's cool. Talk me through, was that kind of his idea to process it that way? Or was he giving you clean guitar and then you worked your magic on it? Like, what was that like? Well, I mean, he gave me clean guitar, but then we both were just like, hey, how can we screw this thing up? Let me play the guitar first and then I can kind of talk through it a little bit. Yeah.
Um, I have it bounced down to a stereo track at this point, but it was actually two just separate takes, just panned left and right. And then asking the Pro Tools, you can hide those tracks. It is actually interesting because uh, to answer your question, though, like when we work or collaborate with people, again, like we're just not afraid to let people do whatever they think sounds cool, right? And and the thing is, like a lot of the, especially a lot of like the dance music that we love and connect to the most, is stuff where like people went outside of the rules a little bit. You know, they they kind of they found sounds or noises that that aren't slick and that they're not kind of perfect with it. And that's and that's why something like this. We're just like, man, if we're going to be collaborating with Sego, like we're not afraid to like let let very interesting Sego ideas kind of, you know, be part of the thing. But um, so when we actually recorded it, it was just um, him using my Jag and just using like the um, the whammy on it just to kind of get that bend. And then I just went in and chopped it up. But I did put the uh, Thermionic Culture Vulture on it because it's like one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite like UAD plugins ever. Isn't the Capitator kind of a vibe off the Culture Vulture from um, Sandwich? One of the settings is in Decapitator. Okay. Decapitator has a lot of different. So what is Culture Vulture then? Because I don't even know. I have no idea what that I'll is. Show you. I'll kind of show you. The Culture Vulture, what it does is it's a distortion. But like what's cool about this is that it has like you can just like destroy something or you can just, uh, just make it a little bit hotter and it just adds just kind of like warm saturation and that's kind of what I usually use it for. And so like without the culture vulture. And then with the culture, with the culture vulture. Just adds that subtle um, little bit of distortion. I feel like you really hear it on the rakes, like not even like the notes too, but especially it kind of brings out some of the noise of human strings. Like this on like bass and like drums is really awesome i love kind of distortion on drums just anyways and so when we do like mr tape drums we're always adding quite a bit of saturation and usually either like tape saturation like something like we have kind of like an outboard piece here kind of coming into the rig or once we're inside of the rig we'll make our drum bus usually have something like the culture vulture or some kind of some like tape emulators to really kind of toast them up a little bit. Do you use, do you use the decapitator much? Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah, we use decapitator on bass a lot. I use decapitator on vocals a lot personally. Obviously guitars, but even then like with guitars I don't I don't use it as much. I use I'll use the culture vulture probably more. Yeah, super awesome song. You guys did a fantastic job and it's great to to get you both together and talk about about your stuff and what's going on. We're all Utah guys, so this is the first episode we've ever done where we're all from Utah. If you woke up tomorrow, everyone forgot about this song and you wanted to re-release it, is there anything that you would change before re-releasing this song again? I literally wouldn't change anything. I mean, that's these these tracks, we didn't overthink them, man. I mean, it's like if one thing that we, we have learned in production, it's like the more you start like nitpicking the minutia you'll never be happy with anything that you ever do and and if you just decide early on like man once this is in a place that i feel something like i literally like don't care well i mean i care but like i don't care about trying to like nitpick every little detail when you release stuff you can just be happy with it with all of its quirky imperfections and stuff like that and it makes it so you can actually finish stuff so yeah honestly i wouldn't change anything i think I, i i i mean is like, are there maybe some like things that might not be the most technically correct? Like, sure, but I mean, whatever, man. Like, the song makes me feel something, so I'm like, cool, I'm down. That's a sick perspective. I think that's something people need. 
and that'll help get so much more music out if you have that perspective because so many people just don't put stuff out because they they're so perfectionist but if it makes you feel something people want to hear it people do yeah I was, I was gonna just say amen to that also like when you finish it and if you have those thoughts like oh man i should do this next time then do it next time like just do another track and then make that track right. like use those things because that's how we progress you know like me and nate were listening to something he produced for a band called mend last week and it's funny because when he made when he produced my record like seven years ago he was just kind of starting out and we were just like, man, like, what if we, what if Nate had these chops? Like when we made that record, we were like, oh, it's kind of, that would be kind of cool. But Nate wouldn't have these chops if you didn't make my record. So uh, yeah, just making stuff and, and kind of using any mistakes that you made to move on and get better the next time. It was a big thing. Dude, and everybody always loves your demos. You know what I mean? Like, dude, nobody cares. Like you, it, like you show, you show your friends your demos all the time, right? Because it's something you're working on and you're so stoked on it and they can see how stoked you're on it. And you can hear how passionate you are about something, right? And dude, your friends always like the demos that you showed them early on way more than the finished product always, right? And it's because they don't care that one version is like the finished version or the slicked out version. It's like they they just connect and relate to it. Whether either, They either relate to it or they don't. And you can show it to them in a basic state. And like I have songs from old bands of mine where a lot of my friends and family just want the demos. Like they don't want my almost finished versions of it because they don't care about that, right? They're like, no, I just love that song or whatever. And so it's just kind of one of these, like once you can kind of accept that principle, I feel like into your life, it's way easier to get things finished and not stress out about stuff. Did you guys have a good time? Oh, dude, it's awesome, man. What's up, Daw Nation? Thank you so much for watching this episode of In The Daw with Mr. Tape. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did or didn't enjoy it, Go ahead and tell us down in the comments. We would love to know your thoughts, your feelings, what you thought was great, what you felt like needed improvement, everything in between. Go ahead and comment down in the comments. Also, if you are interested in that Slate Digital Everything Bundle, there's a link in the description. Go ahead and click on that. The DotBot will get you all set up, put you in the right direction. Also, if you're interested in getting private music production lessons or private social media marketing private lessons, there's also a link in the description. Go ahead and click on that. Dawbot will put you in the right direction. And finally, if you have any suggestions for certain artists coming on the show, or if you have any suggestions for certain songs that you want certain artists to dissect on the show, there's a link in the description. Go ahead and click on that. Tell our Dawbot all about it. Give him all your suggestions, as many as you so desire. He'll send them over to me and we'll see what we can work out. And the final, 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 down in the description, there is a link to the In The Daw Behind The Daw Patreon. We can't do this without you guys. So thank you so much for the patrons that we have. And if you wanna become one, you get access to a private Discord community so that you can grow, collaborate, learn what's going on in the industry. I share tips, everyone shares tips. It's absolutely amazing. Link down in the description, Dawbot will get you all set up. But other than that, thank you so much for coming through and watching this episode of In The Daw with Mr. Tape. And we'll see you next week. Oh, and finally, don't forget to subscribe and hit that notification bell. We'll see you every time. All right. Thank you so much. You have a great day.